This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. We started last week looking at the relationship between belief and faith. And I want to continue with that this morning. I'm actually quite excited about this morning's message because I wanted to talk about it for about a month ago. And it just wasn't right, but I, I think it's a good time to get into it. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. What happened was that the disciples, a man came to the disciples and his son was demon-possessed and he was sick. And he had asked the, the disciples if they would pray for him, cast out the demon. And the, the disciples had tried to do that, but nothing happened. And so he ended up having to go to Jesus to get it taken care of. And so the disciples came to Jesus afterwards and they said, explain to us what's happening and why it was that we weren't able to do this. And in verse 20, Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. At a very elementary level, it's important for us to understand that we're a trichotomy. We're body, soul, and spirit. Um, Our spiritual man And our spirit man is what gets born again the moment that we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he comes into us and he transforms us and he makes us brand new. And the life of God moves on and moves into the inside of us. Old things are passed away and everything becomes brand new. The challenge that we have very often as Christians is that we have an element of us, part of the three parts that is made brand new. But our body and our soul isn't made new. And so that's why... Jesus speaks a lot about the importance and the value of having your mind renewed. What he's talking about is, I'm trying to get you to a place where I'm able to reconcile all of your units, body, soul, and spirit, and bring cohesion between all three of those elements. And so he's in the process of trying to do that. And we have a role to play in it. Jesus makes us brand new spiritually, but we're responsible for transforming our mind. So the degree to which we step into God's design for our life is really up to us. He provides us with everything that we need to do it, but we are the ones responsible for doing it. So I want to focus today not so much on the spiritual side because you've been made new. I want to have a look at the other side of it where we're talking about our soul and we're talking about our body. We're talking about those elements where we're wanting to make our mind made new. We started last week talking about beliefs. Beliefs are really important. Beliefs are fundamental to who we are because beliefs are the building blocks of your life. When it talks about your heart, and, and with, um, there is a lot of reference in the Bible to your heart, to your heart, live from your heart, what comes into your heart, protect your heart. What it's talking about is it's talking about the fundamental building blocks of your life because the beliefs of your life are, har- are harbored and taken care of in a place called your heart. But your beliefs are particularly important because what you believe is going to introduce you to the way that you live. Your beliefs are really important. Your beliefs are not just a fleeting thought or an idea. It's not just an emotion that passes from here to there. They are concepts and ideas that have been able to find a place of residence on the inside of you. And they're embedded on the inside of us. And they give expression to the way that we view life and the way that we perceive circumstances and situations. They influence the way that we react and we respond. They affect our disposition to life. Our beliefs are really important. As long as our beliefs are incongruent with God, we end up in a compromised position. So our beliefs become so important. You, you are what you believe. 
When they say you are what you believe, what you believe, what essentially they're saying is when we talk about our beliefs and the building blocks of our lives, we're talking about our identity. You are what you believe. And you will act off your belief system. You will feel off your belief system. You will live in anticipation of what it is that you're expecting to take place in your life. So when we start talking about beliefs, we're talking about your identity as a person. And it's very close to our heart. It, it affects not only who we are, but how we live. When we're young and we're impressionable, we're vulnerable. And very often what ends up happening is during the formative stages of our life, we develop a belief system and we, believe that we, we accept certain beliefs into our lives because we're not necessarily young enough to be discerning so that we don't allow certain things in. And a lot of people live out of certain life patterns. And they're not aware of why it is that they do those things. They're not aware of why they behave the way they do and why they think the way they do and why they're always struggling to move ahead in life. And the difficulty with it is because they're, believing or they're living off a belief system or a fundamental belief that is informing their life. But sometimes we're not always aware of what that belief is. That's why something like a sozo is so powerful. Because a sozo says, okay, you're, believing this, or you're thinking this way, you're behaving this way. Let's go and understand what's at the root of this. And what it's able to do is it's able to get to the very, the, the very root and the very cause, that belief that is driving whatever that is in our lives. And it's able to address that in that way. Our beliefs are really important. Where you came from is important and it has consequence because all too often our history has had the opportunity to have influence and define our belief system. The thing about it is, that's why Jesus gave us grace. Because your yesterday doesn't have to define what tomorrow is going to look like. If you want to change your life, change your belief. You're not going to change your history. You're not going to change your past. You're not going to change where you came from. You're not going to change your parents. You're not going to change any dysfunction that you came from. That's all part of your past. What we do is we accept something called grace and we allow the Holy Spirit to come in because what he does is he takes out those dysfunctional beliefs that we have and he replaces them with truth. So we're able to walk into something new and into a fuller expression of what God's intention is for our life. He's talking to his disciples and he says to them, the reason that you're not able to do what it is that you would like to do has nothing to do with the fact that you don't have enough faith. It has to do with the fact that you're living in unbelief. It's important because all too often as Christians, we're on a pursuit, we're, on, we're in pursuit and we're on a mission to go and find more faith. We need to be bigger faith people. We need to be stronger faith people. And there's nothing wrong with faith. Faith has its place. The problem with it is all too often we're misguided because we're trying to find faith. But the issue is our unbelief. And so we're trying to discover what the relationship is between the two because the two are inextricably linked. But it's really important that we're able to define the, the contribution and the role that each of those has to play in things. Because in our pursuit for faith, the problem with it is if you don't address the issue of unbelief, you'll never walk into God's plan for your life. He says to him, you have an unbelief problem. When God's talking to us about unbelief, what he's saying is the issues of your life, the things that are fundamental drivers to your life are problematic. Either they are incongruent with what God believes. So we believe something that is not true. And that's entirely possible. A belief doesn't necessarily have to be true to be resident in your life. Whatever you believe, you give power of influence to and is able to have influence in your life. 
Let me give you an example. It's a silly one. Half of, the wo- uh, half of America right now believe that President Trump is racist, and half of them believe that he's not. Well, you can't both be right. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. But the thing is, half of them still believe both ways. It's not a judgment call on where he is or isn't. I'm trying to make a point here. The point is, both sets of groups have adopted a belief. And the problem with it is, we're living out of that belief. So we speak out of that belief. We see out of that belief. We see through that filter. We have a disposition towards that. It drives our actions. Somebody's wrong. You can't both be right. But everybody's bought into their own beliefs. Your belief doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be right in order for it to be a belief in your life. In fact, what ends up happening is because we swallow when we buy too many things that are untruthful, we end up in a state of unbelief. And God's sitting saying to us, the things that you're believing are either not fully developed in the way that I would like them to be, so truth is not established in our life, or what you're believing is incongruent with truth, so you're out of order. Either way, what we end up doing is we end up with a compromised foundation. Build your house on the rock. There are two important components to that. Number one, you need to have a foundation. The rock has to be there. Your foundation is really important. Your foundation to your life is made up of the beliefs that you have. As long as your beliefs are rooted and grounded in truth, as long as they're rooted in Christ, who is the cornerstone to your foundation, what ends up happening is you put yourself in a place to act out of that, act on truth, and it moves you to a place where you can realize the fullness of whatever your foundation establishes in your life. You can build on that. You can act on that. That's called living by faith. Your foundation is your belief. What you do with that foundation and acting on that foundation is what you build on that structure. The problem is when your foundation is built out of something which is in unbelief or not fully developed truth, what we ended up is we end up with a compromised area in our foundation. So we start building on that and we think we're okay, but the first time there's a storm in life, the house doesn't stand. It has nothing to do with the fact that you didn't have faith. The problem was that your foundation was wobbly. We're living from unbelief. And what God's saying to us is this, get your belief system straight. When your beliefs are right, when your beliefs are congruent to me, with me, when, when your life is established on truth, you can build on that. You don't need a lot of faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed. What he's saying is the bigger issue is what you believe, not your faith. Yes, you need to act on your belief. But if your belief is wrong, it doesn't matter what you do with it. You're going skew. If you're fundamentally convinced of something and you believe in it, it's not too difficult for you to act and move forward. That's why you don't need a lot of faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, it can do some stuff for you. All too often what holds us back in life is not that we don't have enough faith. It's that our belief is skewed. If ever you go to a nursery, have you ever noticed you walk along the aisles of a nursery and all the plants that you see look fabulous. They're big and they're bushy and they're robust and they're healthy and they're full of flowers. And you think, this is fabulous. How is it that nurseries get such fabulous looking flowers? You know how. They grew them in a thing called a hothouse. And when you grow something in a hothouse, it means you create a perfect climate for it. And so you take out all of the things that, are, that are, could be issues when it comes to growth and development. So you don't have fungus and you don't have pests and you don't have rain and hail and all the elements that are playing on it. You don't have frost. You don't have any of that. It's a perfect environment. That's what Eden was like. 
And when God created and put Adam in Eden, that's what he was to do. He was to flourish in who he was. The problem with it, sin came into the world, and all of a sudden we've grown up in an environment where we haven't just had God's truth put into our life. We've had a whole bunch of weeds that have come in as well. The point of it is this. Your unbelief is what's going to define your future. Your unbelief will define your future if we don't address it. Very often the problem that we have is our past. And if we can address the past and we can have a look at some of those things that we're basing our life on, and we can have a look at the belief systems that are forming, informing our ideas and perceptions of life, and we're able to change them, it'll change what our future looks like. The reason that we all too often live a compromised existence is because we're acting out of unbelief. And when we live out of unbelief, our perceptions of life are skewed and our reactions are compromised. Have you ever tried to deal with somebody who's a victim? Somebody who sees that they're a victim is a good example. The challenge with it is this. It's never my fault. It's always somebody else or something else or someone else or some environment. Or so. It's never my fault. So the problem with it is it's very difficult to actually approach that person and in, in a loving way sit and say, you know what? What you're doing right here is compromising our relationship. Because immediately what they do is their perception is skewed. And so what they do is they don't see it as a valuable contribution to their life where they can have a look at something and make some uh, adjustments. What they do is they view it as you are attacking me. And because you're attacking me, I'm going to defend. So I don't actually act maturely and take what you're saying and consider it. What I do is I come out in a volatile way and I explode all over you. What ends up happening is if our belief system is not rooted and grounded in truth, our perceptions are skewed and our responses are compromised and we end up in a strange place. Our beliefs are a prelude to action. When you have a solid foundation, you get to build on that foundation. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 tells us that whatever owns your heart determines the course of your life. What it's saying is the belief systems that characterize who you are are going to determine what your future looks like. Different variables are going to come into our lives, different challenges, different situations. What it's saying is the way that you respond to those is going to be identical to the way that you've always been. And nothing's going to shift in you and you will be the same person 10 years from now than you are, to, that you are today. Unless we're able to take that and we're able to address it. Matthew chapter 12 verse 35 says, A good man out of the goodness of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil in his heart brings forth evil things. What it's talking about when it talks about treasure, it's to, the treasures that it's talking about is it's talking about your beliefs. It's talking about your heart, the most sacred part of who you are, the center of your being, the place that harbors the key drivers of your life. The treasure that it's talking about is it's talking about your belief system. And it's saying if your beliefs are good, it'll result in good fruit in your life. If the treasure of your heart is evil, evil is what? Something that is not characteristic of God. And his nature, it's outside of that. It's misaligned. It's in unbelief. What you'll do is you'll introduce it into your world. When we start to speak about these kinds of things, sometimes we have a tendency to imagine that it's all about mind over matter. You know, it's, it's all about uh, getting our headspace together. And it's, you know, if you can mind power and all of those things. 
That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. There is an element to it where we have to understand it as human beings. What God is wanting us to do is to get our lives aligned with truth. And when we align ourselves with truth, in the natural, what will happen is our lives will begin to shift. And as a result of that, what we should find is that we have a more established moral compass. So we discern things a little better. We behave a little better. We don't indulge in certain things because our moral compass is established. In the natural, what ends up happening is we should become wiser in the way that we handle the affairs of life. Wiser in the way that we handle relationships. There is a natural component to, the, to getting your mind renewed. The thing about it is God doesn't want to limit it to that. God is sitting saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. What he's saying is the things that characterize me, the way that I want to live life. Bringing heaven to earth is all about you being the branches and being able to take that and give expression to that. In the natural, there are certain things that you can do and you can move your life forward. But you're going to come against some obstacles. You're going to come against some challenges. You're going to come against some things in your own life where you're sitting saying, I can't get over the hurdle. I can't make the gulf. I can't get through where I am right now. And I need his intervention in my life. And at that place, that's where it becomes the power of prayer. It becomes the power of the supernatural. It becomes the power of God evidence in our situation. But is our belief at a place where we're able to believe for those things? If our belief isn't there, what ends up happening is we just remain as natural people. The whole purpose of it is to introduce us to something which is much more dynamic, much more exciting, life of a superior nature. Why? It should be me in collaboration with God. It should be God and me in partnership. That's the way that God intended for us to live with him. But the way that we walk into that and the way that we experience that is when we allow him to inform the belief system of our life. One of the most exciting times in anybody's life is when you fall in love. It's one of the most exciting times. People, it's just, have you ever noticed people get a bit giddy when they fall in love? They're not quite on the planet. Why is that? Because they're characteristics and they're things that go with people who fall in love. It's almost like they're there, but they're not there. They're there, but they're kind of like a bit, you know, they're a bit ditzy. Why? Because an experience and an encounter with somebody has such an influence on who they are that it's affected their being in many ways. And it affects them both in terms of their intellect and in terms of their emotional set and physiologically. Combined, it has an effect on who they are. The funny thing is what they've discovered is that people who are in love almost have like a rush. They have a high. And it's as a result of a physiological response to the situation in which they find themselves. And what ends up happening is that the body releases something called dopamines. It's a neurological response to what's going on. And it introduces us to a feeling of euphoria and joy. Dopamines are good. Ask any person who's in love. It's like we feasting on dopamines. But the thing about people who are in love is that they think about that person all the time. You talk to them and it's like, I have to get them on the phone. And I just have to send them a text. And I'm just on an emailing. And I'm talking to them. And and I'm wondering, because they're on their mind all the time. And the more that that person is on their mind, what ends up happening is that I have a physiological response to it. And so my serotonin levels 
which is a response to that, have a tendency to drop. And when my serotonin levels drop, what ends up happening is it kind of puts a turbo boost into my dopamines. So it gets even better. And it's like, I really love this feeling of being in love. It's important because what ends up happening, if you ever notice that people who are in love are open to ideas and activities that they never did before. We used to find them out in the woods, chopping down trees and, 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 and log splitting, you know, hunting for deer, wrestling bear, wearing their camos. And the next thing you know, you find them getting all clean shaven and they're putting on their suit and they're like, and so wait, where are you off to? I'm off to the gallery opening in Washington. It's like, how did that happen? Because I fell in love. And all of a sudden, I was introduced to a whole new world that I didn't know about. And I'd never experienced before. But you know what? The person that I love is taking me there. So we're going to go and try it. And I start entertaining new ideas that I'd never known about. And I'd never thought about before. Things that I was so quick to cut off. All of a sudden, I start talking about these things. And my friends are like, where did that come from? It came from because I was in love. I was in love. And I've been spending time with this person. The thing about it is when you're in love with that person, it it starts to affect your future. Because you start thinking, okay, well, next week is a long weekend. I wonder what we're going to do together. And I start planning ahead. I never used to do that. I used to stumble into a long weekend and it was like, ah, good, it's a three-day weekend. But now I start thinking, well, what are we going to do? So it starts affecting my future and the way that I think about my future and what we're going to do together. The reason that falling in love is so powerful is because it doesn't just affect an element of your being. It's not just a fleeting thought. It's just not an emotional high. It's something that infuses and begins to inform the entire part of your being. And as a result of that, I respond differently to life. If we understand what the word belief is all about, we will understand why beliefs are so powerful. You see, belief... Is a compound word. It's made up of two elements. The first part of it is the word be. To be is to, it's a reality. It's to exist in a reality or to have life. That is to be. It's your existence. It's your reality. Leaf comes from the Indo-European word liuba, which really means love. You see, when you put the two together, what you find is to believe in something is to be in love with something. When you're in love with something, it affects you differently to just thinking about something. When you're in love with something, it affects every part of your being. Because when you're in love with something and God comes into your world and says, you know what? I'm going to give you hope because you may be in despair right now and you may not see an outlet and things may be tough and things may be hard. Let me show you what tomorrow is going to be like. All of a sudden, hope is birthed on the inside of me. And when hope is birthed on the inside of me, there's something that I start to get excited about what tomorrow could be. One, what happens? I have a physiological response to things and dopamine start to kick in. Why? Because my body's getting behind all of a sudden what I'm thinking. And my body's like, that's pretty cool. Tomorrow could be a good thing. And all of a sudden I start considering these things and I spend time with the Holy Spirit and I meditate on the word of God and it fills my thoughts all the time and it begins to affect my serotonin levels and they drop. And the next thing I know that the dopamine's kicking even more. 
I'm excited about what God's doing. He's affecting my emotions. He's touching my thinking. He's affecting my physiology. Every part of my being is being informed as a result of the beliefs that's coming into my life. And all of a sudden, there are opportunities that are presented to me and activities and thinking that I never used to go to those places before. And suddenly, I find myself entertaining them. And I'm looking at parameters that are used to sit in, set in my life. I would never step beyond that. And God's sitting saying, come there with me. Go and do some stuff. Get out of the camos and let's go. Let's go into the gallery and let's go and see what it like, might be like. Because I'm open to that because it affects my entire being. I start imagining what my future would be like. And I see my future differently to the way that I used to see it. Why? Because I've embraced something called a belief. That's why beliefs are so powerful. Because it's not just a thought. It's not an idea. It's not just an emotional quotient that comes in every now and again. The beliefs of our life affect the very establishment of my being and who I am. They define who I am as a person. So when you mess with my beliefs, you mess with every part of my being. Romans chapter 4 verse 20 and 21 talking about Abraham it says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced and being fully convinced and being fully convinced what is it saying I bought into the belief system it was a part of my being it informed every part of who I was my thinking my emotion my my anticipation of the future my actions my considerations all of those things were informed as a result of it I was convinced fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform that's why beliefs are so powerful you want an example of a belief look at a person who's anorexic person who's anorexic is bought into the idea and bought into the belief. They've bought into the disposition that when I'm really thin, people will love me. When I'm really thin, I'll be accepted. When I'm really thin, I'll be happy. When I'm really thin, I'll be fulfilled. And the problem with it is they'll put themselves in a place where they're borderline life and death. And some even go over it and die from it. And the funny thing about it is, you sit and think to yourself, but I'm sitting with this person and I'm explaining to them, do you understand that your organs are shutting down? Do you understand that your body is in a state of decline? You do realize that you're on death's doorstep. It doesn't matter what you tell them, it doesn't have any influence. Why? Because you're coming against not a thought, but against their being. You're coming against their being. That's why it doesn't carry any weight and influence. That's why we need the supernatural in our lives, and that's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because there are some times in our life where our lives are so entrenched in beliefs, and they inform who we are and how we see and how we respond and how we feel. And you're not going to get rid of them by sitting saying, let me think about some other stuff. You're not going to get rid of them by just changing the way that you think. It's not strong enough because it is a being definer. And until you get to the place where we sit and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to come in here. I want to repent from where I am right now. Repent means to turn around and go a different way. I want to repent from where I am. You need the Holy Spirit. And that's the stuff that is divine intervention. 
That's why they say a leopard never changes its spots. Why? Because people are rooted and grounded in beliefs. They're rooted and grounded in concepts that define their being. And you think that if you just tell them this, they'll see the light and they'll change. But they don't. How many times have we been in situations and we say, I wish I responded to that differently. But we don't. Why? Because it's a part of my being. And somewhere I may not even necessarily know what the root of that is. I perhaps may not have insight as to what the belief is that's driving that. But if I spent a little bit of time with the Holy Spirit discovering what the root of that is, unless you get rid of the belief and replace the belief with truth, you'll continue to do the same thing. It never changes. You can manage it for a period of time, but the moment the circumstances are right, it's coming all back. Why? Because the belief is still there. In First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 17 tells a story about David approaching this beast called Goliath. The thing about David was that David was a shepherd boy. In those days, to be a shepherd was the lowest of the low. In the socioeconomic strata, shepherd boys were like way down there, the bottom of the pile. He was a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd boy. Let me tell you something about your history. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your circumstances were like. It doesn't matter to what degree you have education or you don't. None of those things have consequence unless you give them access to your heart. The only time your history has relevance and significance is if it has access to your heart. Because if it has access to your heart, it's going to start to define your beliefs. It doesn't matter where you come from. What matters and what's more consequential is what do you believe? He came from the bottom, but it didn't matter. His beliefs were grounded and rooted in God. And because of that, he had a whole bunch of history with God. And when he got to the place where he was sitting saying, fine, I'm walking onto the battlefield here and I'm having a look at what's going on. What ended up happening? Everybody else runs away from the beast. Except him. He said, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. Why wasn't it right? Yes, he speaks about the fact that it goes against the God that he believes. But what I would suggest to you is this. It's more fundamental than that. He had so bought into a relationship with God. And his relationship with God was so fundamental and so intricate to defining who he was. That God had defined his belief system. And he and God were one. Not, he wasn't God. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is he thought like God. He, be, he saw life the way that God saw it. So when he was standing there, he was defying God. In some way, what he was doing is he was looking at David and he was saying, I got a problem with who you are. And David said, you know what? You're coming against my being. You're coming against God who's defined who I am. I got a problem with that. And what did he do? He said, I'm not living with this. I'm going to make some changes. Faith is important because faith is acting on what you believe. There's a saying that says you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. 
Basically, what it's really saying in a spiritual context is something like this. Your beliefs will take you to the place where you can find refreshment. But unless you're the person who acts on what you believe, you never realize it. You're the one who has to drink. You have to do something with what you believe. We spoke last week about the tightrope walker. Everybody believed that he could walk across the tightrope. Everybody believed that he could push a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. The problem with it was when he invited somebody to step into it, everybody said, no, thanks. They had, faith in the t- they had belief in the tightrope walker, but they didn't have faith in him. They believed he could do it, but they weren't prepared to invest their life in it. That's the difference between faith and belief. God calls us to be people of action. When he calls us to be people of action, our natural inclination is to follow what comes naturally to us. Go to Saul, put on the armor, and and face him. And he got to that place, and he was like, this is not right. This just doesn't feel right to me. Our relationship with God is not a formula. It is just that. It is a relationship. It is living, and it's dynamic. And God wants to get our lives established in truth. But God is going to give you an introduction to what it is that he wants you to do. He's going to tell you to do something. For some people it may be audible. Some people feel it on the inside. But listen to what he tells you to do. Don't just act. That's where foolishness and presumption come in. People just go ahead and do stuff and it's like, what were you doing? And it was like, well, the Bible says this, so I'm just going to go and do that. And it's like, did God tell you to do that? Well, no. Get a word from God in your situation. Find what he wants you to do. He met with Abraham and he said to him, I want you to pack up and I want you to leave. And he went. He met with Moses and he said to Moses, I want you to go and I want you to meet with Pharaoh. And this is what you to do and this is what you to say. He told him what to do. The moment Moses historically took it into his own hands and decided that he was going to do something because it was right and because it was appropriate and because what he believed was morally upright, he ended up doing a whole bunch of stuff that got him into a whole bunch of trouble. Very often in life, God will establish us in belief, but he wants for our relationship with him to be dynamic and intimate so that when we get to that place, before we act, we sit and say, God, what do you want me to do here? How do I take this belief and put it into operation? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Get a word from God. Get a word from God. In Matthew chapter, I think it's, what is it, 12? I need my glasses. Matthew 19. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And the rich young ruler says to, says to Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? The very fact that he's looking for Jesus and he's asking a question like that means that there's some kind of a deficit in his life that he's aware of. There's something absent. There's something missing. If there wasn't, he wouldn't be searching. He came looking for Jesus because he was looking for something. And Jesus starts dialoguing with him, and they start into a conversation. And they start off talking about all the expected things, all the normal things. And he says, yes, I've done all of that stuff. Jesus kind of likes to circle the airport a little bit, and then he goes right in for what he's going for. The thing about it is he doesn't come right out and accuse the man of something. What he does is he tries to, he showcases what his belief is in the end, what his 
point is in the understanding that the, me, the man will identify what it is. So he says to the man, what I want you to do is this. Take everything that you have and go and sell it. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And it says that the man got indigestion as a result of this. And he couldn't do it and he struggled with it. The thing about it was, Jesus went straight to his belief. What he was saying to the man was this, I don't have a problem with money. I really don't care if you have money or no money or whatever. That wasn't what Jesus' point was. Jesus' point was this, where is your belief and what is your belief grounded in? You see, he had a limited belief grounded in in his security as money. The point is, money is not a bad thing. Money is a tool, and we covered this a couple of weeks ago or last week. The point is, the difficulty is that this man had money which began to define who he was. It even speaks about the fact that it was the rich young ruler. That's who he was known as, the rich young ruler. It gave definition to who he was. He liked the fact that people knew him as the rich young ruler. It gave definition to who he was as an entity and as a person. When he went into society, people looked at him and was like, do you know who that is? He got recognition because of his money and because of his worth. And because of that, it also put him at a place where he was secure in his money. It's like it's taken care of me up to now. It's looked after me up to now. And I've had a few challenges, but a lot of the stuff I've been able to deal with because of my financial resources and well-being and Jesus was sitting saying to him you know what the problem with it is you have a belief system in your life that's limited you see you think that money can offer you security and to some degree it'll help you in some situations but there's some places that money is not going to be able to have any kind of influence and effect and what Jesus was sitting saying is if you will change your belief system and you if you will get it rooted and grounded in me I'll open your life up to possibilities that never existed beforehand He was trying to shift and change his belief. The problem with it is, as long as he was rooted in a limited belief, he could never walk into what God uh, had intended for him. We do that all too often as people. We ground our lives and we get our lives secure in a limited belief. And it sounds so socially appropriate. I don't like public speaking. I'm not that kind of person. I don't like doing things that put me in the spotlight. I don't like being in places where people are aware of who I am. What is it really saying? For many people, what it does is it gives them an excuse and it gives them an out for, rather than, for stretching themselves. It gives me a, a sense of security in a belief system that's very limited. What it says is I'll live back here and I'll never stretch myself. Because if I stretch myself, you may really see who I am and you may not like it. You may really see who I am and I may feel vulnerable and exposed and I don't like that idea. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to live my life according to a limited belief and it's going to keep me back here, but it's going to keep me safe. And Jesus will always come in and he'll have a look at your belief system and sit and say, let's talk a little bit about that. You know what? If you'll go out and stand up and do the announcements next Sunday, let's talk about things like that. And you're like, no! And we leave in sadness. (laughs) It's not about the announcements. It's not about what you do. It's about being rooted and grounded in belief systems that limit us and never allow us to walk into what God's definition and God's intention for our life is. I want to carry on with beliefs next week. We'll talk to them about them a little bit more. But um, use this week in a constructive way 
Look at your behaviors. Look at your responses to things. And things that, that make you feel uncomfortable, begin to interrogate them. Holy Spirit, show me. Why do I do this? Why do I feel this way when somebody does something like that? Why do I respond this way when this kind of thing happens? Allow him the opportunity to begin to, to sift and sort and get back, get down to what is the fundamental belief that you have that's driving that. When he gets access to our heart and he changes our heart, he transforms our life. Everything is about what you believe. Those are the building blocks to your life. And as he is able to take the building blocks of our life and introduce us to truth so we're able to partner with him. We're able to see life the way that he does. We're able to expect things in life the way that he does. It changes who we are and affects our being. It informs our identity and opens us to opportunities and potential that never existed before.